Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle on Braves FC podcast. Podcast focusing on all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the U.S. This is Jose Omania, sports writer and sports editor for the Sports Pulse. A lot of sports there. And joining me as always, my co-host, Roman Tiempo Latino, Mario Maya. Mario, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm just trying to keep my, I'm just doing my best to keep warm. That seems to be the mission every day here in D.C. at this time of year. (laughs) Baby, it's cold outside and don't I know it. Yeah, but we'll get into the reason why D.C. fans shouldn't be cold because they're going to have another team playing at Audi in a second. We have to talk about this embarrassing crap with the U.S. men's national team. It's hilarious. It's it's funny. This whole thing is a mess. We got piping high tea. We got piping USMT hot tea, y'all. It's piping. <laughs> so so I feel like the best way to start this is multiple sources had told the Athletic that attacker Gio Reyna's lack of involvement it, during the World Cup had to do because of his lack of effort during training ahead of the Wales match, including not playing well during the scrimmage against a Qatari club on November 17th, so about five, uh, four days before the start of their World Cup. Um, according to The Athletic, quote, Reina's lack of intensity in the scrimmage, sources described him walking around throughout this time on the field, during what was otherwise an intense session, caused frustration within the team. The lack of effort was so profound that it was unclear whether Reyna was protesting against an injury or frustrated that he was not going to be a starter against Wales. Then, this is coming from a Craig Verhalter participating in a leadership conference. Um, the conference, which was the Business Roundtable um that he was invited on it was originally about with ceos and things and those kind of things it's the how institute for society summit on moral leadership that happened on tuesday of last week in new york city originally according to the author of this by the way the this the the quotes that are going to attribute with great Burhalter from the comes from charterworks.com they're known for giving um doing newsletters so and they have a picture of craig barhalter at this conference and he goes ahead and he's describing and talking about leadership and the leadership skills you have to have as coach of the national team and so the topic was quickly i'm trying to read go through this quickly the topic is described on handling difficult situations around performance. He says, quote, I'll give an example. In this last World Cup, we had a player that clearly stood out and did not meet expectations on and off the field. One of the 26, so it stood out. As of staff, we together, we sat for hours deliberating what we should do with the player. We were ready to book a plane ticket home. That's how extreme it was. And what it came down was that we had one more conversation with him. And part of that conversation was how we're going to behave going out. There wasn't going to be any more infractions. But the other things that were said to him was that you're going to have to apologize to the group. And it had to be why you were apologizing. It had to be deeper than, guys, I'm sorry. And I peppered the leadership group on this. I said, oh. I said, okay, this guy's going to apologize to you as a group and the whole team. And what was fantastic is in the whole group, after he apologized, they stood up one by one and said, listen, it hasn't been good enough. You haven't been meeting our expectations as a teammate, and we want to see some change. They really took ownership of that process, and from that day forward, there was no issues with this player. It began swirling, and the athletic was able to confirm that this player was Gio Reyna in it went it, apparently it got so bad that Gio Reyna had to give this apology in front of the whole team. Last check this newsletter, the author has stated that the after his the newsletter came out, he wasn't supposed to put that out, but he got permission anyway. Craig Brohalter then told ESPN it doesn't matter who the player is. What matters is that we got through it at the end of the day. It took a day. Well, it took a couple hours, but then 
<laughs> Gio Reyna's agent responded to the athletic and said, obviously, Gio did not come with any experience hope that he hoped for at this World Cup. The situation, the relationships, and interactions among parties are far more complicated than what is being reported. It's disappointing and disrespectful for certain parts of the parties to be commenting on private team matters so publicly, especially when it when some do not do so without the full acknowledgement of the facts and others do so for a self-serving uh, manner. Then today on Monday, Gio Reyna apologized publicly on an Instagram post. You can find it on his Instagram. I will briefly just read the part that everybody's interested in. Quote, just before the World Cup, Coach Burhalter told me that my role for this tournament would be very limited. I was devastated. I am someone who plays with pride and passion. Soccer is my life, and I believe with all my abilities. I fully expected and desperately wanted to contribute to the play of this talented group as we tried to make a statement at the World Cup. I am also a very emotional person person and I acknowledge that I let my emotions get the best of me and it affected my training and behavior for a few days learning about my limited role I apologize to my teammates coaches for this and I was totally forgiven therefore I'm shook I'm shook I shook off my disappointment and gave everything I had on the field I am disappointed that this is continuing coverage of this matter as well as a highly fictional event and extremely surprised that anyone in the U.S. men's team staff would contribute to it. Coach Berhalter has always said that issues that arrive with the team will stay, quote, in-house, unquote, so that we can focus on team and <laughs> this team unity and progress. I love my team. I love representing my country. And I am focused now on improving and growing as a soccer player and a person. I hope that going forward, each of these each person involved with the U.S. So with U.S. soccer is focused on what needs to be in the best interest of the U.S. men's national team, so we can go out and have great success in the World Cup in 2026. That was a lot, <laughs> Mario. Your thoughts on the craziness that's happening after they've been eliminated at the World Cup? You remember that part in certain parts a couple of years ago when they said that we're not a real footballing nation? Well, this drama just proves proves it wrong. We are now officially a footballing nation because we've got drama. Uh, Greg Barhall is like, you fool! What part of this did you not think while you're speaking at a public forum? This was going to go out there. What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> and, and, I mean, yeah. Okay, I, I may believe there was a situation that happened with Gio Reyna. I feel like these are kinds of things that happen in in World Cups. Yeah, you know, this, this situation may have gotten out of hand. There, there, there is an acknowledgement on both parties there. Bro, you keep it in house. What is wrong with you, man? Why'd you put it out in the atmosphere like that? Like, that was so dumb. I, I'm just sitting here going like, why, why would you say that? You said it in a public forum, then you tell them it's off the record. But they put it in a newsletter. Like, I don't know about you. I think we were discussing this yesterday off, 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 off air. And I think you brought it up. You said that when you speak in these kinds of events, in, in these public kinds of forums, none of this stuff is really going to be all off the record. It's going to be on the record somehow. Somebody's going to record it. There's going to be a source there. That's going to be like, hey, so-and-so said this during this, this conference. Now, being that this was at a business-slash-leadership conference, yeah, that, that was not only a bad look for you there, that you mentioned it, being the coach of the U.S. men's national team, which shows a lack of leadership, in my opinion. But you aired out the dirty your dirty laundry and your grievances with your player in public. On top of that, we put two and two together when you said a certain player. You knew you were talking about Gio Reyna, my man. You knew we were talking. You we knew you were talking about Gio Reyna. Again, what is wrong with you, man? Just to clarify, so it was a different event from a di and the outlet was invited. The outlet was not told that everything was off the record. The event organizer said, Yeah, you can write this up. And so, like a smart outlet, you write it up because that's the news. And so they wrote it up. They put it in the newsletter. Greg Berhalter never mentioned Gio by name. As I read so quickly and elegantly there, terribly, um, he never mentioned him by name. So 
But he didn't even, you'd have to mention him by name because you kind of figure out who you were talking about. Because remember, we had been talking about the entire the entire participation of the United States in the World Cup was why are you not bringing in Gio Reyna? So, but, but it regard I kind of look. I have been split on this, so it's thinking about it since it broke yesterday and today. Look, Chris Alter was wrong for releasing this this antidote that clearly he wouldn't have said publicly otherwise. But like I said, normally for cool full disclosure, I went to the University of Maryland. The J school has a rule that even if in the class you're on the record, unless you say you're off the record. So even when we had classes of 50 people with an athlete there, unless the athlete did not want it to be on the record, we never spoke of it. You know, we've had guests that asked us to, I need to go on the record so I could be honest with you kids. And it was it was telling. Then we had people like Sasha Karaski who gave uh, kids, uh, uh, high schoolers, a 442 assessment and then gave them tests. So it's just what it is. I'm joking about the test, by the way. But yeah, it's just it, it, like Craig Brogdon needs to be smarter about where he speaks. And and even if it's a leadership conference, you should be smarter. The one he should have spoke was the Weston McKinney, because I think that he handled that a little better than what we're saying here. But and 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 it goes to now. And it's kind of overshadowing because you have one side of the fan base going, well, Craig Berhalter clearly doesn't know how to manage. But if you listen to the story, he clearly did manage this correctly. The person who didn't manage this well was Gio Reyna until today. Uh, Gio came in, acted like a petulant child, and Gio was upset that he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time. However, things change, buddy. It's a tournament, and you're being over-emotional. What, 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 you're being over emotional. You're being over emotional about it, and then you're you're going out and you're not performing in training. You know, you're not performing. You're not giving your best effort. I am that guy that looks to the star on the team and goes, "I am going to beat him. I am going to beat him because I want his spot." I was always that guy in high school when playing a high school team. I, yeah, it's not World Cup, but. That's the example that we're talking about here. Your spot will always be up for grabs for any other player to grab. Gio clearly, once he was told he was going to be limited, he didn't care. He was upset. He was in his feelings. You know, we talk about Drake. He was in his feelings. because And, and this is where, in, 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 but it clouds your judgment. You should always be ready to perform regardless. You don't know if Christian gets hurt. You don't know if anyone gets hurt. You don't know if the coach may change his tactics. You know, and so you have to come in like every day your spot's on the line or every day you can win your spot back. And so I felt like he was very immature as a 20-year-old. Yes, we understand what a 20-year-old immaturity is like. But to that coaching staff, Gio's been a pro for four years. He's been playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he should have more maturity when they tell him something like that. And they told him they were ready to send him home. They told him, you have to apologize because you're not showing the effort like the rest of your teammates. He apologized. I do agree that Gio was wrong. I think Craig handled this poorly uh, post, post, post the World Cup. I think he handled it perfectly in-house. Having him go up there and go in front of his teammates and say, I'm sorry, and admit that he was wrong in his behavior. And his teammates getting the chance to rebut back. There are very few times that when you apologize to your teammates, they get the offer, the opportunity to speak back and explain why they're pissed at you. And so they had the opportunity. I thought that, you know, everyone is not disputing that. The only thing we're disputing here is the after effects. And I think that Gio explaining himself and saying he was wrong is a good first step. And he's going to grow from this. I think he's going to grow from this. But I think kind of tying everything together when it comes to Berhalter, he does so well with the players. But publicly, he wants to do the thing that that um, basketball coaches are known for. Basketball coaches are known for. Where they call out their players in the media as like a message for them to understand that you messed up and that the player would absorb it. The problem is in this case, 
we were all wondering because he told us Gio had an injury and Gio said, no, I don't. So we thought there was some conflict right then and there. It turned out he was trying to protect Gio and Gio was just being a petulant little bee. And so, and so here we are and Craig Bohalter couldn't have let it go. He didn't have to bring it up. He could have brought up another example. We talked about the Weston McKinney situation and how he handled that better. Yes, was the reason kind of iffy? It was COVID. That's the best way of explaining why that suspension was warranted. It was COVID. But overall, I this didn't need to get out there. And I think that, that Craig failed on that aspect. And it should affect them. If I'm U.S. soccer and I'm looking at this, Gio has a point. You can't be saying everything's in-house. And then this is, what, the third situation that you brought out the house and told the media or told a conference? or We don't even know what other stories you've said outside of the locker room, allegedly. So I, if I'm if I'm Cynthia Parlo-Cone and I'm looking at Ernie Stewart right now, I'm looking at him going, you need to rethink everything you're thinking right now and really consider if it's necessary to bring him back for another cycle, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I kind of second you on this because this this probably will, this will have some lasting effect on Gio, but not a whole lot he could grow out of this experience. For Greg Berhalter, on the other hand, remember not a few you know, a few days ago it was rumored that he was going to go into negotiation talks to get a contract extension to continue on being the USMT head coach. This situation in particular, even though you handled it well in-house, the fact that you put it out, you put it out there afterwards could have some effect going into those negotiations, going into those neg- negotiations to continue being the head coach of the USMT. And yeah, Sidney Parlo Cohn should look at Ernie Stewart. You should have a conversation with him. And be like, really reevaluate what you're gonna, th- what you're thinking here, what you want to do moving forward, and have a plan B in place, just in case you know. Just have a plan B. Just have a plan B in general, because you may never know how this go. This may end. And yeah, he may be feeling confident that uh, that uh, Greg may be feeling confident that a I may have a chance of being the next head coach. But you're kind of ruining player your relationship with your players in a way by doing this kind of stuff. And so that's a bad look on you. And that could affect the negotiations going forward. So all, all in all, this is just one real messy situation and one messy situation we didn't think we'd find ourselves in to begin with. Well, one, we don't know if Craig wants the job. I think that's one thing to keep in mind when it comes to this. It's like we don't know if he still wants to be the coach. We don't know if he has any offers he wants to entertain from clubs. We heard the ESPN report last week when we attempted to do a podcast that they were considering um, renegotiating with him and giving him a new contract extension. But where I have the issue is you you can't be out here telling outlets it doesn't matter when clearly there was a specific issue with your squad that everyone saw and 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 we want to know and we want to know and we want to know if that affected your selection process because i would have never told this is the one bad move in my opinion he did behind the scenes you never want a player to feel demotivated and one way to feel get a player feel demotivated is telling them they're going to be limited this world cup and 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 again i look uh jordan morris is a great guy you mean to tell me if geo outperformed jordan morris in training he wasn't going to play i refuse to believe that i refuse to believe that I refuse. I refuse that Jordan Morris only got in there because Jordan Morris only got to play more because Gio misperformed in training, which is fine with me. But if I'm Gio, I guarantee you, if I wasn't told I was going to be sparsely limited, I would have went to every training, motivated to prove to the manager I need to be in your starting eleven, not 
not this BS about I'm going to be limited. That's what I'm saying. Like, as a player, you have to come in as if your spot's on the line and you could take someone's spot. And so if you already demotivated him and you tell him he's not even going to have a chance to start, then you're already ruining half of the plan. Half the plan is to get your players in top, top shape to play every game. And you're you're doing yourself as a coach a disservice. What if Gio comes out and he's performing better than everyone and you get an injury? Are you going to play him? Yes, you are. And so, <laughs> so I, I feel like Craig missed – Craig does this a lot. And I've heard Taylor Swimmer call it um, – he does a lot of chalkboard coaching where he plans everything out, how everything's going to look, how everything's going to be. He's got different scenarios of what the game's going to turn out before the game even happens. Some coaches coach on field. And Craig Halter coaches on scenarios, which is fine for certain instances. But when you have a situation where you're not prepared for something, like, I don't know, Christian Pulisic colliding with the goalkeeper to score the goal. Maybe and then you bring in Gio Reyna. <laughs> remember, he 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 hurt his whole damn chest scoring that goal. That that is a game you bring in Gio Reyna. Uh, other situations, I don't know. You give up a lead late in the game against Wales, and you kind of need an offensive spark. Well, with Wales, you could see that the defense had dropped in the 60th minute. Because Craig Berhalter wanted to hold off for the 1-0 lead, the win. By the 80th minute, all his wingers are gassed. So why not bring in a winger? Oh, I'll just bring in Fat Kenny Cooper over here. Like, no, 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 no. And then he bought him in after the goal. So he didn't even – he bought him in after the 85th minute. In the 80th minute, they were already screaming, I need a new winger. Yet they bought him in after they concede. And so that's what I'm saying, like – and yes, now we know that Gio was being a bit of a 20-year-old prick. But at the same time, this is what I'm talking about in terms of motivation. If you make every guy feel like they have a chance to start, you'll get the regardless best of what, out of them. you're going to get the best out of them. And you ruin that by telling him early in advance, dude, I'm sorry. Like I may, I may use you as a spot like five minutes here and the 10 minutes there. I'm going to be... Like that's Craig's only flaw out inside in house, outside but, of house. I mean, it's just a mess. <laughs> but he did change his tune again in the Netherlands game because you were down two nothing and Jesus Ferreira wasn't working out, and you said, "Screw it, I'm gonna bring a Gio Reyna as a striker for 45 minutes." But by that point, the apology had already happened. I bet Gio had already started performing better. He 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 had a reason little, to put him in. Yeah, it was a little too late at that point. So, all I'm going to say is, I'm Cindy Parlocone. I am looking over Ernie Stewart, and we'll get to Mr. Wall in a second, but one of Grant Wall's final reports that I wish he would have wrote was that Cindy Parlocone and U.S. Soccer stopped Jermaine Jones from being the head coach of the U-17s, which was originally an Ernie Stewart idea. She the, apparently the U.S. Soccer said no. Let's make him assistant. He's limited with his experience. Let's make him an assistant. And so, and and you can see that Jermaine like he's relishing in the opportunity of being assistant. But imagine that that someone is stopping their GM from making a hire. Like oh my god, that happens in every sport. And so so right I, now, city part. Cindy Parlacone is taking, you know, her executive her executive position to make some executive decisions and be like, no, we're going to put the kibosh in some of these ideas. Well, because we remember, and I'm mad that it hasn't been discussed as much as it should be, but we remember when Greg Berhalter was hired and how it, it, and it, to this day, it still smells like nepotism because. Oh, it's Greg very Berhalter, much of that. It is very much a nepotism hire. Remember, Greg but, Berhalter. But see, but see, this is what I'm saying. You're one of those people because what happened was the biggest mistake that Ernie Stewart did was admit the game of I interviewed one person and that's all I wanted. 
And that was my guy. I did my interview. We called it a day. That's not what you do. You don't, you hire multiple, you, you interview multiple candidates. You see who's the best candidate. You get your leadership team together. You all interview all the candidates again. You come in with a final three. You get the everybody and their mamas to talk. Like, that's what you do. That's proper management. Ernie Stewart was just like, I just want my dude because he's, like, good and I like him. And that was it. Like, no, this is proper hiring management practices. And what U.S. Soccer said, we ain't about that anymore. We got too many people looking at us. We got a lawsuit right now with the women's. We don't need to do that again. We need to avoid We're that. We're hosting a World Cup in four year, in three and a half years. We, we got the whole world on us. You think we want to do this kind of stuff again? No. And let's not even talk about, oh, like, you know, the next process, we need a coach that evaluate. We'll get into, like, the on-field nitty-gritties in a future episode. But it's just saying, like, Ernie got away with that, and it caused what we're seeing now with this situation with Gio. It caused <clears throat> the segment of the fan base to call it a nepotism hire because Greg Borhalter's brother used to work for U.S. Soccer at the time. I believe he no longer works there uh, as of this year. But it created a... F- feel that this was a nepotism hire when probably Gregor Halter was the again the only guy he interviewed and he didn't do a proper search that's what happened yeah remember Tata Martino was up for grabs at the time too so yeah Tata Martino you had um Carlos Osorio he was interested didn't get an interview Tata was interested, didn't get an interview, and um, a former Real Madrid coach for like 10 minutes. And he uh, ended- so, uh, Julia, it was either Julian Lopetegui Julia or Santiago Lopetegui. It was It was Julian Lopetegui was also interested in the job. None of those three gentlemen got an interview. And those three gentlemen have pretty good credentials. So, so if I'm watching, if I'm U.S. soccer, I'm breathing down Ernie Stewart's face like right now but like has he really earned just an extension has he yes or no and why just saying hey we'll keep you posted on more of this drama yeah on to lesser drama and that is going on at our Audi field not RFK RFK is being demolished soon thank god uh, <laughs> <laughs> so hard to say goodbye <laughs> For y'all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, at Audi Field, it will have a new full-time tenant starting in 2023, and that's going to be the Washington Spirit. The NWSL side said in a release on Tuesday that the stadium will be the exclusive home of the Spirit after agreeing to a multi-year deal with the owners of the venue, DC United. The deal was first reported by the Washington Post. Um, under the new deal, the Spirit will play all of its current 11 regular season home games in D.C., along with Challenge Cup matches and playoff games. Um, all NWSL games starting this upcoming season will take place on weekends only, whereas the Challenge Cup will take place on Wednesdays. Uh, season ticket holders have been contacted throughout the week since this announcement has been made. And... With the new full move, the Spirit says they plan to make significant enhanced changes to the venue to improve the game time experience. Mario, what are your thoughts on the Spirit going full-time at Audi Field? They should have announced it going like, thank God we are no longer going to Segra Field anymore. Right? Um, yeah, I know, man. Nobody should suffer going an hour and some change away to Leesburg, Virginia to watch the Spirit play. Or if you're, or if you're, uh, uh, Allie Krieger, get your legs taken away by Ashley Sanchez. Still one of the greatest memories in Segra Field history. Shout out to you, Andre, for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, it's a good thing. Like, I feel like this should have been something that should have been worked out be- to begin with. I feel like, you know, it's in the name, Washington Spirit. Have them play their games in D.C. They've been, they they kind of, they they make them feel like they they're part of, of the uh, of of the settings of Audi Field. 
and you would get more people to come out to games. You get a pretty good crowd to begin with two two uh two spirit games at Audi Field. And also, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, to quote Ashley Harris, you're gonna do it in a professional set- setting. And on top of that, the team said it before. They like playing at Audi Field, they feel comfortable playing at Audi Field. So you're gonna have them play in a proper soccer venue. So for them, you can all, it's not all for them. It's not only your mo, you're going to get a little more motivation out of it, but you're going to be playing a lot more proper gigs. Not saying that Segra Field isn't a proper soccer venue, but at least Audi Field has indoor plumbing. Yeah, the biggest knock the players had was, and I remember one story, I don't remember the player in particular, how they would have to get out their car, walk to this trailer, and the the showers weren't that great, and the, the trailers were installed. For those who don't know, Segra Field out in Lowndes County, it's it's a, it's a little small stadium. It's a little small stadium, holds 5,000. But the biggest issue, it's very high school. It's very amateur hour. It's not the pr- pr- practical setting for a women's professional soccer team to be playing in. Showers, not really accessible, or they are, and they just don't work half the time, or they work, and they're... Eh. The, the Spirit have been good at not calling out Segra. Only, you know, when they have, it's been on the record, but outside of that, they the biggest thing they trash is the field. And I think, and that, that's been a yeah, you're going from a you're going from a turf field at Segra to playing in a much more natural grass field at Audi Field. Well, in soccer true purposes too, for Spirit, Spirit played three different things, but all of them were terribly outdone by the turf. So they would they played originally a more possessive style under Richie Burke. That was outdone because the ball would bounce. Then under Chris Ward, they first started off playing more of a counterattack, will press up high, and then later on it went from that to possessive base but with a press. And again, the ball bouncing really messes with you. Um, you know, Chris Ward really tried his best bef- to not criticize Segra, and then it got to the point where one game out of the 16-game winless streak that they had last year, he just blew up and just said this field is crap <laughs> he spent a whole year not trying to do it and he did it um i mean it, it's an upgrade you're going from the outhouse to the mausoleum right also he blew up after the portland game where they lost when they were up one nothing because of a wild goal and then i think the turf had something to do, do with the aubrey kingsbury error that tied the game so and on top of that you had like what hour and a half delay because of thunderstorms? Yeah. So yeah, all around it's it wasn't it's not a good venue for soccer. I always thought it was weird that they put in a turf field. It's not even the best turf field, mind you. You can have a turf field like Portland and be a FIFA grade two, which is the highest grade you can get from FIFA for turf fields. They grade them from zero to two. Two is the highest you can get, and Portland has the best grade. Like. If you're gonna get turf fields, like get that. Like don't don't cheap out. And it just always felt that when they built they built Segra pretty haphazardly. It had no bathrooms at the beginning. It only had Porta Johns. Then during COVID, because they wanted the spirit to play there, US soccer and the NWSL were like, you can't play here because it has no restrooms. They have temporary bathrooms. They're like, but don't you remember our plan? And the plan was always to bring... I wish indoor plumbing was part of their pl- a part of their plan. To be honest with you, well, then then during COVID, it was announced that they bought uh, was essentially old containers that are refitted and remodeled to bathrooms, and that's where the indoor plumbing comes in. They had to postpone a game and actually had to lose a home game during the 2020 season and play. In Houston, because they didn't have the field ready. That was 2021, actually. 2021, my bad, where they didn't have the field ready because the plumbing wasn't fully installed. And then we had a picture because 
at WTOP, someone lives in Lowndes County and said, I'll go by. And you can clearly see the people working <laughs> to get that plumbing done uh, before the spirit game. It was kind of hysterical. Um, but it also, was- you got, also, you got to think about fans. You know how out there Leesburg, Virginia is. It's so yeah. out of the way. And so it's kind of like, it's inconvenient meaning like Audi field is much more reasonable. I guess much more central. It's still a little ways out if you live in certain parts of the area, but it's a much more doable drive than to drive out to Loudoun County to go watch these games. And also fun fact about Segra field across the street is a Loudoun County penitentiary. So, you know, do with that well, information if you will. Well, with Audi field one, it's a soccer specific stadium. The, you know what you're getting. It's going to be a natural grass field. It's going to be the width of a soccer field. It's not going to have too many. It's at the third. It's going to be totally designed for them to play. Audi Field has three locker rooms. It's going to have, you know, it has, they all have the, the most up-to-date in advance locker room anemones that a team would want. And that's what makes the player, it doesn't feel temporary. Like those, those, for as much as those containers probably do, and I've gone inside one of them to use the restroom, they do okay. But as much as they, they're that they're, that works, nothing feels better than saying you have your proper stadium that has its proper enemies that can seat twenty thousand, not five. And that's the other thing too: the league is going through D one status, so all stadiums have to be at least uh, capable of hosting ten thousand fans. So it's got five. It would have to fill out a permit asking the NWSL to allow them to continue playing. And that just doesn't seem feasible. Uh, Since Michelle's arrived, she wanted a permanent home for the team. And it just works better to play at Audi. Um, We shall see if they keep Spirit Bill. I don't think they're going to keep the free beer, but you don't never know. (laughs) What I do think. I like the free beer, though. I think it's a benefit to have them there, though. I think it's much better. It's more centrally located, easier for parents to take the Metro. Spirit Games normally play at 5, so you can leave at 7 if it's on a Sunday so that your kid can get home and get some sleep before the school day. And when they play on a Saturday, 8 o'clock, even better. So you, you, you don't lose here if you're in. I think they'll gain more support out of it. I do think it gives them a chance to get more season ticket holders and not have this questionable, we'll play at Segra, we'll play at Audi. Now it's all in one location. You can actually build an actual season ticket base and build your supporter groups that do exist and have them reach out locally to local fans, to the local area. Yeah, you can continue going to Loud, and they said they're going to continue building their base in Loud, whatever the hell that means. But open practices, I guess. But, like, it's it's instead of that, like, now your supporter groups can now, like, entice the local area. Go to a Nats game and say, hey, come see the Spirit. Go entice local people, local people in offices in the area. The neighborhood next door makes them have black and Latina girls come for cheap. The spirit tickets aren't that expensive either. They do plan to raise prices a little bit, but they want to keep it economically friendly too. So invite young girls to come see matches and experience uh, pro soccer in their local hometown. Right. I think uh, community outreach is going to be important for the spirit now that they're going to be there full time. And so that that in itself, I think, is is an opportunity that you gain with this move. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, DC United fans that are concerned, just remember that DC United will only play Wednesdays and Saturdays going forward due to the schedule change with Apple. And the Spirit could play just Sunday games depending on what's going on. And... Yeah, there's no need to worry. The only thing you should be worrying is the XFL playing on in early late February. Yeah, all in all, you're going to be pretty busy at Audi Field all year round. Yeah, you get your soccer fix at Audi. Um, end the episode on a sad on a sad note. Uh, Grant Wall, who was the regarded soccer writer and journalist for more than twenty years. Um, died this past Friday in Qatar where he was covering 
the World Cup quarterfinal match between Argentina and the Netherlands. His agent confirmed his death on Friday night, uh, said Grant Wall had been going in, working in the press box uh, in the closing minutes of the match when he went to acute distress. It is believed that he died at the hospital or while he was being taken to one after feeling unwell prior to the tournament's uh, proceeding following a two-day break. During his um, podcast, Grant Wall had mentioned that he caught bronchitis and used those two days between the round of 16 and the quarters to rest up, and he took some medicine that was provided in the media um, medical facility, according to journalists that were present that was present at when Grant fell ill. Uh, medical personnel performed chest compressions and provided treatment for over 20 minutes before he was taken out of the stadium. He was on the midst of covering his eighth World Cup and had an aggressive schedule of reporting stories from multiple outlets and, of course, his own and recording his podcast. Um, just today on Monday is being reported by the Associated Press that his body and his possessions have been repatriated or brought back to the United States uh, thanks to uh, staff department officials. And they arrived early at 8.30 this morning with a consulate official from the U.S. Embassy in Doha with who had custody of his possessions shortly after he collapsed and died at the stadium. Um, Grant was an influential member of the soccer community. Um, Mario, what were your thoughts? Uh, I want to gather myself before I speak. So what were your thoughts on hearing what happened to Grant this past weekend? I was was in complete utter shock. I just I first learned about his passing when I got on Twitter and I just so happened to see uh, Alexis Guerrero's from the Cooligans tweet out a heartbreak emoji and saying, uh, hug your hug your loved ones and tell them I love you. And I was just I I assumed it was a passing in his family. And then I was going through the comments and I saw Grant Wall's name was coming up. I was like, OK, that's odd. And then I went to the I went to see that Grant Wall was trending on Twitter, and that that's when I found out, and it kind of just caught me off guard. I think a couple days after, I'm still trying to process it in a way. Not uh, it, it's just that it doesn't seem real to me. It doesn't seem real that he's no longer here with us, because Grant Wall is, for all intents and purposes, one of the most influential soccer writers in this country. He put soccer in the forefront in this country. He was not only just an advocate for soccer here, but he was also an advocate for women's soccer. And I think just his passing pretty much, it was sad and considered in all the circumstances that were, that came along with it. It's just not, it, it hasn't been something that I've, that, that people have been able to process. Like I haven't been able to process it fully. Still, I'm still having got uh, somewhat of like, like it just doesn't seem real. That that's the biggest takeaway I have from this is it, it doesn't seem real. I think uh, several people in our community, uh, the soccer media landscape. It's a very small community. Like you tend to at least cross paths once, and I was lucky enough that. Um, when helping out with the Gold Cup in 2015, luckily to be assigned in the press box. And Grant was one of the few people that came in early. And, you know, he said, hi, how are you doing? How'd you get this gig? And I was like, oh, I'm helping out. Um, luckily, I'm a, you know, a reporter in training. He's like, well, I hope you get to network. And he, he wanted to get started with, you know, reporting. But from every part of Twitter, Facebook, Substack, everywhere you look up Grant Wall, you you see stories that are similar to that, that he's just, he was that guy who's very nice to young reporters at SI, where he started his career, when he went to learn to do TV at Fox and do radio voiceovers on CBS and TV there as well. He apparently also helped Telemundo when they would cover U.S. men's national team events. 
but he was always that guy looking for the small reporter and um, always help him uh, through their journey as a young journalist, a young writer. And, you know, I just had a passing with him, but it, it was one of those things that that day I will always remember meeting him, meeting others, and just having the opportunity to be in the same room with all these people that you listen to, you talk about, you read their stories. And I think that's the one thing that with Grant, he he did everything that when you grew up, you never saw. You never thought of a soccer writer in Sports Illustrated of all things. You never thought of a soccer writer being a guest on a sports radio show. But he was that guy. He was that guy to explain the game to people in the United States. He was our preeminent soccer voice. And when he got ousted at Sports Illustrated, I said, look, I like Brian Strauss, but that was our that was the first guy. You know what I'm saying? Brian had a lot of shoes to fill up at that point. And so and luckily he was able to write a couple of pieces before. Um um, when bosses changed, and he was able to end his run at SI on a high note. But I, you know, I I love Grant's podcast. Like he was one of the reasons why I was motivated to do a podcast. I listened to him and uh, Richard Deitch back when they were both on SI, and they had this uh, Sports Illustrated Soccer podcast. And how Richard and I, I spoke to Richard Deitch about this in college, and how I was like, dude, I understand playing the guy that doesn't know much and letting the person speak who knows everything i get that he's like no you don't understand grant knows everything and he's so nice to me and he was like he's the best and that's one thing that i'll miss is someone who is that nice and gracious with their time and is willing to talk to people who don't know the game and not you know, you see this in our community a lot. You know, they make fun of them. Like, oh, how dare you? It's an easy game. It's 90 minutes. You can you can do it, take a shit in between two periods, and, and then you come back and you watch it, and then you can go out for dinner afterwards. Like, we do a lot of that shit talking when, when it comes to people who refuse to watch our sport or say it's boring. Grant never did that. Grant was always there. He was willing to talk to whatever outlet to voice his game. And when he talked to soccer people... You could just hear the voice and you could see the love in the game. Um, his podcast with uh, Chris Whittingham was awesome. It made you feel like you knew them. And that's the beauty of Grant. You, you, again, I had a passing hello with him. But every time I listened to that podcast, I felt like I was listening to a friend. Uh, I have a copy of the Beckham Experiment. It was a Christmas gift. It's probably the best Christmas gift I got. And to this day, I always said I wanted Grant to just know that I read the book from the back in a week twice. And, you know, that, that's how much his work impacted me as a reporter, the, the, the dogged journalist that he was. And he's a perfect example of what a soccer reporter can and should be uh, in 2022 and beyond. So, you know, my thoughts and prayers to his family. Uh, I don't expect them to listen to this, but I will. I always will want them to know that he will always be a positive influence in my life. I mean, for me, I never got to meet the man personally, but just seeing everybody who shared an antidote and how Grant Wall impacted them just by one meeting and how he was able to impact them in some way or another speaks volumes of the kind of person he was. And I think it's, I, yeah, he was the consummate professional. He was he was that the voice of soccer in America. Me personally, I I will more or less will remember him for his work outside of writing, in particular the uh, Freddie Adu podcast he did during the pandemic. I think that's one of my fa- one of my favorite like mini podcast series. In part, personally, because it kind of got me through the pandemic, because I, I was kind. I mean, I was kind of going through a uh, going through a funk. I feel like everybody was going through a funk, but him just retelling the Freddie Adu story right, from from start to kind of finish at that point in time, talking about how Freddie, talking about the start of his career and the twists and turns it took, and it just made it just made me 
it, it was great storytelling by Grant Wall and by everybody involved in that project. Also, it kind of made me relive my childhood. But yeah, I feel and I, I feel like yeah, Grant Wall, like you said, he was a dog. He was a dog jur- the dog journalist, uh, and also someone that was able to tell a story when when whenever he re- read one of his pieces. And you could pretty much picture everything that's going on while reading it. And so that's what made him one of a kind. And I also want to extend my condolences to his uh to his friends and family during this difficult time because I know it's not easy and deal and dealing with a sudden pat a sudden pass a passing that happens so suddenly. It's never gonna be easy to to deal with. Right, and again, we send our thoughts and prayers to the family, and if anything else comes to light, uh, we will definitely report on it. Obviously, Grant uh, was not the first um, reporter to die during this World Cup. We recently received reports that another reporter uh, passed away during these games, Um, and we wish them thoughts and prayers as well. Um, He was a photojournalist. I don't want to mispronounce his name. And I don't have this information in front of me, but that was uh, recently something that came out today. And this World Cup is learning is earning a reputation that is not good. Uh, something to FIFA for for them to think about. And in, in the, and even if it was a health accident, it, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories of what happened. But I will say that let this the FIFA should be more aware of what has transpired. With this World Cup, uh, the, and, the, uh, the, the journal, the photojournalist has passed away. His name was Khalid Al Misalam. I right. hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Yeah, and so, you know, all you wish is for the best for all the families involved, and that they get the answers that they um, so rightly uh, deserve. And that'll be the end of our episode of the Battlebreeze FC podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter on Jose underscore M underscore Romana for more. Mario, go ahead and tell people where they can find out more about you. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at Mario Amaya one You could also follow El Tiempo Latino 2 uh, at El Tiempo Latino on Twitter. You could go on their website, eltiempolatino.com. And if you want to put money in my pocket so I can buy a Lionel Messi jersey for Christmas, you can go get a hard copy of El Tiempo Latino at your local newsstand and metro station today. And as always, thank you so much to Cal McLeod and Patek for the intro music. Rate and subscribe as always. Anchor, Spotify, audio platform you use. And thank you once again for tuning into the Battle Base FC podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Adios. Adios.